Well, really good to see all of you here this morning. My name is Grant Call. If you're new here, I'm one of the pastors on staff. It is a delight to have you with us. One of the things that we do is we go through books of the Bible, and we are presently going through the book of Ruth. And as you're finding the book of Ruth, I just uh, want everyone in our church to be aware, in case, in case you have not heard, that Shane and Janet Sanders, who have long-term members, they've been with us for like over 20 years. We actually all got started in the movie theater, Hollywood movie theater number 13. Uh, they have had such a faithful ministry in our midst. Uh, they are actually going to be moving to Waxahachie. Uh, you'll know Janet, who's been involved in so many different ministries and with our women and mentoring. And Shane has been an elder for 15 years. He's rotated on and off the elder board. And they'll be actually moving. So uh, you'll see them over here. But after service, would you make sure you just greet them and thank them? Uh, we are going to certainly miss them, but they've been such a delight uh, and such a blessing to Fellowship Bible Church. So if you got your Bibles and turn to... Ruth chapter 3. If you've ever been involved in uh, gardening or farming, you know how important it is to get your seeds in the ground and and the great potential for life uh, that comes from little seeds. Um, Farming and ranching has always been part of my family, and so I've been kind of around farming all my life. But uh, when we moved to Rochester, Minnesota, uh, my dad wanted us four boys, especially me, since I was the oldest, to have a really good understanding of the power of planting little seeds in the ground and all that could come from that. Now, um, so we had a large uh, lot, uh, um, farm field behind our, our house, and so we had this really large garden, you know, and my dad rototilled it, and, and we got everything all straight lines, and, and he pretty much bought, I think, like every seed that he could find, okay? We had a massive garden, and we were planting these seeds. Now, if you've never done this, some of these seeds are like dill, for instance, almost microscopic, and you're like, are you serious? You're going to put that in the ground, and this is going to grow, and like that dill would eventually get like bigger than me, okay? And we were planting everything, pumpkins, watermelon, cucumber, beans, lettuce, you name it, we were planting it, and sure enough, uh, we got it all in there. Everything was neat and lined up there. My dad had steaks. He's a very exacting guy. And um, we did all the watering. And, and one of the great features of my life was to weed, okay? And I'm always pulling weeds out there. But then pretty soon you'd notice like little plants coming up there. And those plants would continue to grow. And they would grow so much that they would eventually have like produce that would like feed our family and give it all to the neighbors. And like, if all you know of vegetables is something out of a can or a frozen bag that you picked up at the grocery store, you really don't know vegetables until you have them fresh out of the garden, okay? It's just, they're like completely different. And we, I learned this. I learned the power of just a little seed planted can have amazing growth and benefit. You know, that is exactly what we see when you come to the book of Ruth. There is a woman by the name of Naomi, And she is realizing that the power of the seeds, just little seeds of faith and love in her life, were going to have a tremendous impact. Now, as we've gone through the book of Ruth, I just want to give you a quick real recap of where we've been. Uh, Naomi married to a guy by the name of Elimelech because of a famine. She and Elimelech and their two boys leave the land of Israel, specifically Bethlehem, and they go to the land of Israel's enemy, Moab. It's about 50 miles away. The famine is so severe, they think they've gonna, they're going to have a better chance of survival is that they leave the promised land. And so while they're there, things went from bad to worse. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies. Her two boys decide, well, you know what? I think we'll uh, uh, 
go pick up some wives, and so they marry two Moabite women. Uh, mind you, these gals are worshipers of the god of Kamosh, uh, a god that receives child sacrifice. This is absolutely devastating for Naomi. And furthermore, uh, life is difficult as a foreigner, and she then experiences that her two boys die. When she finally makes her way back to Bethlehem because she heard that God had once again brought bread to the land of Judah, by the time she arrives, she has spiraled so far downward. It's been like she has skydived into despair and despondency and depression. So severe is the pain in her heart and in her life, she tells her friends that are like, wait a second, is that Naomi, the the lady that went out full about 10 years ago? The woman whose name means pleasant, beautiful, lovely? Are you the same gal? And she says, indeed, I am not. I have been stripped down to nothing. I am coming back empty. I have changed my name, and I want you to now call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Lord's hand has been very bitter to me. And so while they're in Bethlehem, destitute, uh, there, she's got this one daughter-in-law by the name of Ruth that has come with her. She, Ruth herself has experienced a tremendous conversion. She has placed her faith in Yahweh. In fact, she makes this great declaration in Ruth 1, 16 and 17 of listing out her life priorities and making a vow to Naomi, I am always going to be with you. I'm going to live with you and I'm going to take care of you because your God, Yahweh, I want you to know is my God and I am a changed person. And sure enough, That's exactly what Ruth does. She comes up with a plan. They need to eat. She starts gleaning, uh, which means gathering grain in fields because it's harvest time. The first person that she goes to, she goes to some land that's owned by a guy by the name of Boaz. We find from Ruth chapter 2 that Boaz is not just any guy, not just any wealthy landowner with a great crop. This happens to be someone who is a near relative of Naomi a near relative of her late husband, Elimelech. And it's rather astounding on how Boaz actually provides for this foreigner, this this woman that is known as the Moabitess. And Naomi is watching all this, and she is realizing this. Even with the great difficulties and the pain in my life, and people that 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 I love so much that were taken away and they died, even in the midst of this, God's loyal love hasn't left me. In fact, one of the great blessings in my life is this woman, Ruth. And what Naomi is beginning to understand is that Hesed, God's loyal, loving kindness, never leaves his people. In fact, you can simultaneously live with great pain, serious discouragement, big unknowns, And at the same time, have God's loyal love in your life. He never leaves you. She's learning this. And so when you come to Ruth chapter 3, we see Hased in action. Hased, God's loving kindness, is always in action. And in Ruth chapter 3, we don't get like a discourse, like a lecture and with a lot of definitions. Let me explain to you what Hased is. No, you get it like in a photo album. There are pictures, pictures that evoke meaning, understanding. And that's what we find when we come to Ruth chapter 3. The word Hesed only occurs three times in the book, but Hesed saturates every word in its pages. 
You see, the seeds of love generate the fruit of action. Hesed is not an emotion, like I feel like it, like candlelight dinner and, and, uh, and I've got the emotions. Hesed is action based on conviction, sourced in covenant. And that's what we find here in Ruth chapter 3. Love in action, we first of all see in the life of Naomi. So pick it up, chapter 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not, not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? So once again, now, Naomi is returning to this concept that we found in Ruth 1, verse 9, of rest, of security. Remember, she had those two daughter-in-laws, and as she's making her way from Moab to Bethlehem, she tells those girls, listen, leave me. There's no hope where I'm going for you. Go back to your mama. Go back and find a new husband and security and rest there and leave me. And Orpah eventually goes, okay, you talk me into it, and she does. But Ruth clings to her and says, no, absolutely not. And so they've been there. We don't know exactly how long, but it's still harvest time. And Naomi has come to this understanding that God's loyal love has not left her. And that moves you. When you understand that God loves you, he doesn't leave you. He doesn't forsake you. Even in the midst of your things that you don't understand and the painful incidents in your life, when you start to rest in that kind of love, you start moving forward in faith. And that's exactly what we see her doing. It's kind of like we talked about. It's this walk of faith. You take a step, one, in God's providence, the next step in God's loving kindness. And sometimes I actually do this. I just think, God's loving kindness and his providence. Things I don't understand, but I'm trusting in him. But his loyal love never leaves me. And so she moves forward. And she has a deep concern for Ruth, and for good reason. Because Ruth is much, very likely going to outlive her, right? And what is going to happen to Ruth when Naomi dies? You see, if you are an uneducated, unattached, uh, um, a woman that is disconnected, and on top of that, a foreigner in this time, you pretty much do have no hope for existence. And so you see, Naomi is moving out of her despondency, her depression, and her despair. And we see that because she's starting to think of others. She's starting to realize God's loyal love hasn't left me He wants to express this kind of loyal love to the people in my life. And she's really focused on Ruth. Now, when it comes to this idea of creating security, she really thinks it's going to happen in a marriage. Who could provide? And there is one that stands out. And that's why she references this idea of security. Now, when we think of marriage, the Western concept of marriage is all about romance, right? And feelings. Every movie and and all these books that you read, right? Even if it's a book about like police, it has to have some sort of romance to it, right? Because that's just how we think. But that's not marriage in biblical times. Oh yeah, there may be romance, but that is secondary to security. Uh, And sometimes they were even political ties or or ties that brought about um, the advancement economically or socially for someone. All Naomi is thinking about at this point is who could care for my daughter-in-law, Ruth? And so she introduces her plan, beginning in verse 2. Now, she says to Ruth, Is not Boaz our kinsman, with whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Now, 
It's really interesting how she refers to Boaz. Now, Boaz is a key person, okay, in both of their lives. But she refers to him as just a kinsman. Um, Another translation would be acquaintance. She doesn't call him Goel, like a kinsman redeemer. She refers to him as a relative. And she says, no, you know Boaz, he is just, he's a relative of ours. And you've been actually working for him with his maids. Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Now, just for you to understand a little bit about what's taking place here, she doesn't call Boaz the kinsman redeemer like she does in 2.20 when she realizes that God's loving kindness has never left us. She just refers to him as a relative. And she's talking about barley harvest and threshing floors and winnowing. And if you're like, I don't even know what that is. Well, let me just tell you. So at harvest time, they would gather the grain that had been cut, and they'd take all this grain, it's still in the stalks, and they would take it to what is called a threshing floor. This would be a hard piece of earth. Uh, Oftentimes, it was stone, a really large area, and they would put all that grain on there, stalks and all, and they would have animals and their hooves, or um, they would have like cartwheels, or even... Uh, what's called a threshing sled, which is these large planks that has metal and rock in it, and they would have animals pull it, and they'd pull it in circles, and what would happen is it'd chop up all that chaff, and it would release the kernels of grain from the stalks in which it was found. And then, that's called threshing. And then, winnowing would happen late in the afternoon, early in the evening. When the winds would come off the Mediterranean, uh, what they would do is they would take that grain, and they would throw it up, chaff and all, The wind would carry out the chaff. Here's a picture of what that looks like. And the grain would fall down on the on the back onto the threshing floor. And they would just keep doing that until they just had these huge piles of grain. It was a lot of work, but that's how it was done. And then that grain would either go into a granary or it was sold and transported someplace. That's what's taking place here. And so this is what Naomi's referencing. And so here is her plan. She says, Ruth, this is what I want you to do. I want you to wash yourself, verse 3, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your best clothes and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make yourself known to the man until he is finished eating and drinking. So here she says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to put on, uh, take a bath. I want you to really get cleaned up here. I want you to take that anointing oil. Think of like perfume. And I want you to put that on, and I want you to put on your very best clothes. Some scholars think that she was actually dressing as if she was actually being married that day, the very best that she would have. And she's telling Ruth, and Ruth is like, yeah, this all sounds like a good idea. Baths are wonderful, love to smell good. Sure, I'll put on my best dress. And, and she's tracking with this. She's, she's listening. She's trying to put it all together here. Um, it gets pretty shocking here when you get to uh, what she says next. But she's, she's starting to track with this plan. Do you see how Naomi is functioning differently? Ever since Boaz entered the picture, uh, Naomi has started to break out of her despondency and just thinking about herself. You see, she watched loyal love being demonstrated in others, like Boaz and Ruth. And remember this, never underestimate the influence of a faithful and godly life. People that walk with God with joy and gladness, people with boldness and courage and and live by faith, that are unashamed of God, 
and represent him, I want you to know that has a lot of influence. It motivates, inspires, it encourages faith in others. And that's what we see Boaz and Ruth, why it kind of like lit a flame that was almost extinguished in Naomi. And so much so that Naomi at this point is willing to give everything up. Naomi's greatest resource by far is Ruth. And she's not looking to Ruth to to have a child and carry on the family name. I mean, Ruth has gone through 10 years of barrenness. There is no way she's ever going to open up that wound. If you've walked through uh, infertility and you've helped another woman go through that, I want you to know that uh, the last thing you're to do is rip open that wound. No, she just wants security. She is willing to make a sacrifice. It's kind of like, remember uh, when Jesus pointed out that widow at the temple and she was putting in her last two coins as an offering to God, put in everything. Remember when Jesus pointed out, it's like, you want to know what all in looks like? You watch this woman right here. That's what Naomi's doing. She's giving everything she has. And so she's got this plan and she's unveiling it. And she's saying, you're going to go to that threshing floor. So I want you to really get dressed up. I want you to put that anointing oil on. I want you to smell good. You put on your very best dress. And then she says this, and this was going to be shocking. Verse 4. And it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down, and then he will tell you what you shall do. So Ruth is, everything is sounding good. Bath, best dress, anointing all. Oh, yeah. What? No way. Are you kidding me? What are you talking about? Have you lost it? Are you sure about this? What? This doesn't really sound like a really good idea. So for you moms out there or mother-in-laws, what do you think about the whole idea of sending out this young gal uh, to the threshing floor where there's going to be eating, drinking, lots of men, and who knows what else has gone on at the threshing floor? Send her out at night and see what happens by taking and uncovering the feet of one guy, okay? In the middle of the night, in darkness. I want you to know there's a ton of risk that's going on here. But you see, Naomi is willing to take a calculated risk because she wants to put uh, the situation in such where Ruth can approach Boaz, where he's not going to lose face if he doesn't want anything to do with her or not marry her. I mean, after all, she's a foreigner. This just doesn't seem to probably work in anybody's plan. So she wants an opportunity to do it. Yeah, there's all sorts of risks. Risk for Naomi. You know who's really got risks? Ruth. Humiliation, rejection, or worse. And yet she's willing to do it. And so she goes and she, she actually has this plan. She, she's told what to do. And even the Arabs today still have a tradition where symbolically they would throw a garment over the shoulder of, this, of a woman that they're going to marry. And that's what is being conveyed here. The idea that you will provide security, protection, a covering. And so Ruth is understanding this, and there's, there's some cultural understandings of what's happening here, but this isn't normally how it would take place. You see, marriages were arranged, and Naomi's really not in a position to do that, although it's kind of her responsibility. Ruth has no one left. And for Naomi, this looks like the very best chance of success without completely causing Boaz to lose face if he decides not to. 
And notice she gives her explicit instructions. It's, she tells her, it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies. Ruth, if you don't get anything right in life, don't mess this up. You go to the wrong guy, you uncover the wrong feet, who knows what will happen to you. So she's like, you make sure you know exactly where Boaz is. You know, he's going to be at the threshing floor. So if you've been out on the farm, all farms generally have like a security light, right? And it's usually buzzing. There's flies and bugs running around it at night, right? You know what I'm talking about? And it gives off a dim light so you can kind of see around. But there are no security lights at the threshing floor. Ruth, don't mess this up. And so... She does everything. Look at verse 5. She said to her, all that you say, I will do. You see what's happening here. Naomi is finding Hesed running through her veins and in her heart. And she is willing to sacrifice and release Ruth to give her a home and a future and a hope. You know what this is? It's love in action. It's Hesed. You see, we see love in action in the life of Naomi because the seeds of love generate the fruit of action. But we also then see it in Ruth. Take a look here, verse 6. All right, here we go. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her, okay? So she's scrubbed up and she's scented real good, right? She's freed herself from her widow's garb, right? She's looking as good as she can get, right? She's paying attention. She's watching. She's doing everything secretly, And then verse 7, when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Here it is. Look at this. And she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. So here we have the guys and they're eating and they're drinking. It says their heart was merry. Now, don't get the idea like they're in some sort of drunken stupor. Um, Actually, this has the idea of contentment even perhaps gratitude, Mary. I mean, think of it. If you've been through a famine and all of a sudden you had a ton of grain, right? And you've had a good meal and you've been eating and drinking and you've got just all this grain around you, your heart is merry, content, thankful to God. And we've already seen the character of Boaz. He is that kind of guy. And so what would happen is they would guard their grain. And in this case, Boaz, he owns the field, perhaps others they're going to space it out around this threshing floor, and they're going to like basically stay there that night and sleep, kind of every once in a while, just making sure that no one would steal the grain. And so when they all get settled down, and, and she's watching specifically for Boaz, all that you're hearing, maybe the occasional snoring, and Ruth's heart beating, because she's standing there, and finally it's go time. It's kind of like, you know, right before the start of a race, you know, man, you just feel it. You just know. And all of a sudden, you take that first step, and that's what she does. She does it. She goes, and she is, lies down and uncovers the feet of Boaz and lays down. Can't you just see it? Her heart is just, and she's just laying there like, what is going to happen to me now? And then verse 9. Well, excuse me, verse 8. And then it happened in the middle of the night when the man was startled and bent forward, and behold, a woman was lying at his feet. This is one of the most 
intriguing, if not comical, scenes in the entire Bible. Okay, as you look at Boaz, like, this is kind of a pretty straight-laced guy, right? Button down. I mean, he's a guy who honors God. He wants to do things right. And all of a sudden, he comes to this realization that someone is sleeping at where his feet are. He's cold because the blanket has been removed, and he bolts up, and like, whoa, there's a woman laying right there. What in the world is going on, right? I mean, his eyes are bulging. His muscles get all tense. Uh, Perhaps he immediately starts sweating. I mean, his heart starts racing. He's like, what in the world is going on? And so he's there, and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm sure like Ruth is not sleeping at all. Here's the moment they've been waiting for, and he says, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your maid. So spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. So she goes and she makes this, uh, this statement, and she, she identifies who she is, and she says, spread your covering over me. This imagery you see like in Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 8, when God symbolically marries Israel as his bride, his people, it says that he puts his cover, the skirt, like over them. And this was actually even practiced uh, by Jews even today where they'll take a, a prayer shawl and at the wedding and that shawl will be placed over the bride. It speaks of security, ownership, covering. And so she says, would you do that? Notice what she says. She says, would you spread your covering over your maid? But she uses the word, the exact word that Boaz used in 2.12. Remember in 2.12 where he says, may you have come under the wings of those of God who you've come to seek refuge? It's the exact same word. So she says, In essence, she's calling to mind, Boaz, you remember when you were asking for God to be my great provider to put his wings over and to cover and protect me? She's saying, will you be the answer to your prayer? Will you be the one that God will use to provide covering security for me? That his wing will be your wing and you will marry me and take care of me. That's what she's asking. Now, uh, this is all going exactly the way Naomi had planned, except at the end, all of a sudden, Ruth goes off script. This was not the plan. She wasn't supposed to say this, but maybe you missed it. But look what she says. She says, after she says, so spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. You are a goel. You are a kinsman redeemer. That's not what Naomi said. She said, he's a relative. Don't be bringing up the kinsman redeemer stuff because that's not going to be in your future, girl, because why? You're barren. I'm not worried about our family continuing. I just want a place of security for you. But I want you to see that Ruth also has said running through her veins and her heart. And what she says is this. She says, you are a kinsman redeemer. You see, there are two uh, major paramount uh, values and in an Israel family's life, their name and their land, things that are extremely valuable to them. And in the event that you were running into extreme hardship and you needed that family name to continue because of death, there was what was established in the law, the law of leveret marriage, where uh, the deceased widow of a brother would marry the next brother, and that brother would have a child, a son, that would carry on the family name of the deceased brother. 
Lever is the Latin word for brother-in-law, brother-in-law, marriage. And that was meant to be put in place to carry on the family name. And although it seems very foreign to us, like, I don't think I want any part of that, right, ladies? I want you to know, in Israel, if you should reject it and say, no, I don't think so, I don't want to marry that gal, it wasn't good for my brother, most certainly won't be good for me, that was seen as great dishonor and great shame. You would not live it down. That would carry on the family name. But in order to keep the family land, they had what was called a kinsman redeemer. The nearest relative, kinsman redeemer, a goel in Hebrew, had the opportunity and really the, it was ex- expectation that if they could, they would buy the family land so it didn't get sold off and be outside of the family. At great expense, would definitely affect the estate of the, the kinsman redeemer that would have to buy it, but that's how they kept the land in the family. You see what Ruth does here? She makes the appeal for not only Boaz to marry her, but to be the kinsman redeemer. I mean, Ruth knows that she's barren, hasn't been able to ever have a child, and yet she puts it all out there. This went from a private discussion, a private understanding and decision for Boaz, to a public matter. Because to be a kinsman redeemer, why that is all going to take place in front of elders at a gate It is going to be public. It is going to be well-known. And that's what she makes this appeal. She is living out her life priorities. Remember that vow? All Naomi wants is a place for a, a home for Ruth. But Ruth, she wants the family name to continue. She wants protection and provisions for Naomi. She wants the land to stay in the family. Ruth is thinking much bigger. You know, you got to admire a woman like Ruth. She never travels on the safe side of the road. She is always willing to take great risks, and she does right here. She's living out her life priorities and her vow, and she wants to take care of Naomi. Hased is flowing through her veins, and we see it because it's love in action. You see the seeds of love? Those tiny seeds of love, they generate the fruit of action. We see it in Naomi. We see it in Ruth, and now we're going to see it in Boaz. Boaz may be completely startled, but he is not speechless. Take a look. Verse 10. Then he said, May you be blessed to the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. So here he calls to mind her kindness. But guess what word is? You know the word? That's right. Has said. Your loving kindness that you're demonstrating now is greater than at first. Your loving kindness, she didn't engage in immorality. She did not remarry uh, some just guy in Bethlehem, some younger guy. In fact, she makes this appeal for a kinsman redeemer. And you're like asking, well, like, you know, why didn't Ruth just wait for Boaz to figure it out, right? Right? And for Boaz, just to ask her, will you marry me? Why didn't that happen? Well, we got a real big clue in verse 10. Why? He states as much. Look at what he says. He says, you've shown your last loving kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. Here we got a big clue why he didn't ask her. He didn't even think he was in the running. She's like, you could have gone all these young men. 
And it's possible that Ruth was a very attractive gal, okay? And finding a guy in Bethlehem, whether rich or poor, that'd probably be an option for her. And he just didn't think he was even in the running for such a thing. And then notice what he says here. I tell you what, verse 11, you might want to underline this. He says, now my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask for all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. Everyone knows, Ruth, you're a woman of the highest caliber, of great character. You're a woman of excellence. If you want to know, like, what does it look like to be an excellent woman, you just take a look at Ruth. She has a love for God, her loyalty to her family. This is a woman who lives by faith. She's blooming and blossoming where God had planted her. She's willing to take risks, and she is trusting God. She's looking for God to provide. I want you to know that every one of us, male, female, we all have a reputation. Did you know that? You've got a reputation. I'd like to ask you, are you known as a man or a woman of excellence? And you're like, well, what? What? What actually forms my reputation? Well, I'll tell you. Your patterns, your pursuits, your passions in life, the degree that God and His character are reflected in how you handle yourself, your words, your attitudes, your way of life, how you run your business, how you do your job, how you, do, how you go to class and do your schoolwork, how you compete as an athlete, how you function in our church and in our community. I want you to know you've got a reputation. When you got said flowing through your veins, you become a person of love and action. You become a person of excellence. And that's what we see here. I mean, man, he, he gives Ruth the highest compliment a person could be given. You are a woman of excellence. Man, this is all coming together. Isn't this powerful? There's just one huge problem. And all of a sudden, Boaz is going to... to give it. It's like, this is perfect. Oh, this is going to be the best movie ever. And verse 12, there's just one major problem. He says, verse 12, now it is true. I am a close relative. However, don't you like, oh, not the however, you know, everything's great, but oh, like, oh my God, your heart just sinks. And this was, this is going to drop her jaw and really sink it. However, there is a relative closer than I. Ruth, you got a great heart and you're a woman of excellence. You just have the wrong man. I have to step aside. I'm not the nearest Goel. I can't be your kinsman redeemer because some, there is a relative that is closer than me. And so he makes this declaration. I'm sure Ruth is like, you God, are you kidding me? How does this happen to me? You... And verse 13, though. Man, I'll look at Boaz, man. This guy might be in the middle of the night, but his brain kicks into high gear. I'm sure he's thinking very clearly at this point. Verse 13. Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he, speaking of the nearest relative, will redeem you, then good. Let him redeem you. Let him buy your land, and he will have you as his wife. That'll be good. It'll be God's will. It is good. But if he does not wish to redeem you, 
then I will redeem you. As the Lord lives, lie down until morning. He says, God be my witness. I'm going to settle this tomorrow. As the Lord lives, Yahweh is my witness. We're going to settle this once and for all. And so then he says, listen, I want you then to lie down until morning. Now, here we go. What we see is Boaz, and you know what he's doing? He's pouring out his, his life now for Ruth, for Naomi, even for Elimelech. And so, just so you see that everything is done in a way that's going to be honoring, God-glorifying, and right, and above, uh, re- uh, above any reproach, look at verse 14. So, she lay at his feet until morning, okay? So, where is she? Not going to lay beside him. Why? No, this, this is not his wife. This wouldn't be right. Your reputation matters. Furthermore, he can't send her back in the middle of the night. I mean, okay, like, people, what are, like, people are, what are they going to read of that? Furthermore, this is a young gal. Young gal, middle of the night, middle of harvest. There are probably some folks that had a little too much to drink running around out there. This would be a real dangerous place to send a young gal back into town. So she lays at his feet. And she does this. And notice what the text says. So she lay her feet lay at his feet until morning and rose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Now, I'm pretty sure that no one was sleeping that night, right? I mean, if you're Boaz, do you think like, okay, settled that little like night interruption there, like I had to let the cat out or something like that? No. He's like, his heart's pounding. He's thinking a lot. He's not sleeping. Furthermore, he's supposed to be guarding the grain. He's got this woman laying right there at his feet, you know, and he's like, what if someone walks by? This is looking really bad, right? I assure you, Ruth isn't going to be sleeping. She's like, okay, back here at your feet. She's just like, okay, daylight can't get here soon enough. And Naomi, do you think Naomi goes, I got the night off here. (laughs) Ruth is out there. I'm sure, yeah, Naomi isn't sleeping either. You see, it's sleepless in Bethlehem on this night, okay? And then it's interesting, in verse 14, he says, let it not be known. It's as if he's telling the workers, he says, I want you to know that Ruth's presence and her coming here, this must remain a secret. And so, verse 15, and again he said, give me the cloak that is on you and hold it. And so she held it, and he measured six measures of barley, and he laid it on her, and then she went into the city. So, you know, early, early morning, maybe even the sun isn't up. He's, obviously, no one's sleeping. He says, hey, give me that cloak. And he fills it with grain. A measure, a seah, is about 10 pounds, 60 pounds of grain. And so what do you carry heavy objects? You put it on, her, on your head. And it's like he puts it on her head and sends her back into town. And so verse 15 uh, Uh, He does just that. She goes into the city. And verse 16, when she came to her mother-in-law, who I'm sure was up all night as well, she said, how did it go, my daughter? Right? And she told him all that the man had done for her. And Naomi said, and, and she said, excuse me, to Naomi, these six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said, do not go to your mother in law empty handed. You remember... When Naomi comes back, she says, I am empty 
Boaz, I'll tell you what. He's like, no, no, you're not empty. You're not going back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. You're going back overwhelmingly full. Hased, God's loyal love has never left you. Don't go to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And then Naomi says this, verse 18. Then she said, wait, my daughter, until you know how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest until he has settled it today. You see, the seeds of love generate the fruit of action. And when you consider this, you know the person that expresses the ultimate loving kindness? It's Jesus himself. He is, has said, the embodiment of it. Remember statements that Jesus made? He said like in John 12, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. John 15, 13, he says, Greater love has no one than this, than one lay down his life for his friends. And we love because he first loved us. Do you know why this is written? This isn't written just so you know God working in history and the power of his presence and how he worked in the lives of certain individuals about 3,000 years ago. This is written so that you and I will follow the same patterns of said, that we will put our love in action. If you know God's loving kindness and you're resting in it, He wants you to move forward in it. And so I want to put out a challenge to you. Take the initiative. Take the love of God and put that love into action. Look for how you can do it with your family, people in your family. In our church, intentionally reach out with love. Folks at school, in your job, there are people that need to experience God's loving kindness. Who's going to show it to them? God's going to use you in our community using words of encouragement, appreciation, praying, serving, giving. But loving kindness has said it's to be the hallmark of his people. It is always to move us to action. There are three bright shining stars in Bethlehem this night, and they radiate today. And they tell us this, the seeds of love generate the fruit of action. Let's pray. Lord.